Um, friends, it's a privilege for me to just sit here with George this morning and uh, present the Word of God to you. And truly, we believe it's the Word of God for us as a church and for our churches all, all throughout South Africa. Um, but I just want to first and foremost honor George and Murray Head. George, Murray, thank you so much for what you guys are doing in church. Friends, we've, uh, we're building as a team, Luan, Elmiro on staff, and George and Murray Head, and Linda and me, we're, we're a team, and we're building this church together. And we've asked George and Murray Head to take over the pastoral pillar of our church. So you guys will, be, uh, will start hearing more from them as far as anything pastoral is, is, is uh, involved in the church, marriage preparation, um, parenting courses, anything pastoral. So if there's any pastoral needs, you know that you can speak to George. And George and Murray Head will make sure that you get in touch with the right people. Because friends, we want to take care of your souls. We don't just want to give you a direction to walk in. We want to make sure that we're a healthy church that impacts the city. So George... Privilege walk, walking with you, you and Mariette, you've, you guys have been a gift to us. And I know you've been a gift to every single person tuning in and listening to the sermon. And I've asked, uh, not me, we as a, as a team, we've asked George just to participate in this morning's message. And George, just share what God placed on your heart, share the testimonies that we spoke about. And let's help our people to prepare for what God wants to say to us and where, we, where he's taking us as a church. Thank you, Mike. Thank you and greetings to all. It's a wonderful privilege to be with you face to face on the video. This morning as I was spending time with the Lord, I felt his encouragement to pass on a word for all of us. And it is, this is not, the time in our country right now, this is not a time to slow down. It's not a time to withdraw. It's, for, it's a time for us to step forward and step into the gap and be available to the Lord in whichever circumstances he wants to use us and we need to speak hope and joy and life into our lives, into the life of our church and in our community. So I just want to encourage you and um, to stand up, to stand straight and to stand strong mm. in this time. Yes. To lead because many people are fearful and they don't know what's happening. And we, and they, we just want to encourage them to step out and step forward. This morning, I'd like to share, in the beginning, a scripture reading from the first book of Timothy, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And for this, we labor and strive, that we put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe. And so it's full of hope. We put our hope in the Lord and we go forward from that point. As Christians, we are not hopeless, but our eyes are on the Lord God Almighty. We'd like to share some encouraging things for which we are so thankful for. And we know it's going to bless you. And the first one is the Every Nation churches in South Africa have rallied together and are flying thousands of kilograms of food and essentials to KwaZulu-Natal, who are distributing to the most needy. And we're part of that. We have been sending food and items um, via aeroplane to Natal as well. And so we're going to share a photo of the team, this amazing team. And we just appreciate the ethnicity um, of this team, the, the makeup of this team. It's, it's of different race groups, and it's just wonderful to see a team such as this in our country's history, working together and doing what the Lord has called them to do. I'd like to share with you a prophecy that was given by Jim LaFoon, um, involved with Every Nation International. It was posted on the 11th of April 2017, um, but it has absolute relevance for our country at this time. And it reads, And my church will be strong in this moment, says the Lord. My church will be great in this moment. And I will say to those in South Africa, pray. For churches will divide over this matter. Churches who have lost my spirit. They have become so social that they will melt down into nothing, says the Lord. For I have raised up the heat of that nation, says the Lord. I have brought it to the boil. For they have cried out and I have come as a refining fire into South Africa. And do not fear the meltdown. 
Do not fear the closing of stock markets. Do not fear when banks seem to shut their door. For I am the Lord of the harvest. There is none like me. And the intensity of the meltdown will be followed by the intensity of my Holy Spirit. Sure. For I am coming to revive the prayers of my church. Many will want to leave, but I say, cleave, cleave to me and see what that, see that what I will do. Cleave to the land that I've graced you with and see what I will do. And we say amen to that. I'd like to hand over to Mike now. George, thank you so much for sharing those, those testimonies of the food going to KwaZulu and the prophetic word. Friends, and the purpose for us sharing words like this to the church is we want, we want the church to lift their eyes. We want every single believer to lift their eyes to God and not to be in a place where they are living in despair and just surviving because God has never called us to live in a survival mode. God has always called the church to be significant. Amen. And the level of significance in our lives that God gives us is significance is when you have enough for yourself and you have enough to give away. And, um, and that's what God is calling us to as a church. So we are very purposeful with sharing testimonies like this. Lift your eyes, listen to that prophecy and hear what God is going to do, what, what he said in the past that he will do in our nation and trust him because he's faithful to his promises. Friends, one of the things that we spoke about as, as a leadership team together preparing for today was what do the church need to hear? What do you need to hear as a believer in moments like this when the pressure is on? And it is so easy for us to start focusing on the pressure in our community and society that that becomes the talking point and we lose focus on the object of our faith, which is God. And as we were sitting there Monday in our staff meeting, George said, the one thing the church cannot, move, uh, cannot lose is vision. And friends, we are going to talk about vision today. We will be preaching about the book of Nehemiah. We're going to talk about the vision of restoring Jerusalem, restoring and rebuilding the walls around the city that was broken down. And the, because there's a vision for Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is a, is, is a picture that, that talks about the church. So Proverbs 29 verse 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Yeah. If we as a church and if we as believers lose vision for our nation, we will go into survival mode. You will go into hoarding what you have and protecting it and not using it to as seed instead of you will use your seed as bread. And the problem with that is, is when the church goes into that reactive or a reaction mode of, of storing up and not giving, not sowing, it cancels its potential to bear a harvest in the future. Mm. And God's grace is upon us. So I want to speak to your heart. And as, as leaders together, friends, we, we truly believe that this is a word from the Lord for us. I'm going to be speaking about the book of Nehemiah. I want, to take, I want to take you to Nehemiah 1, chapter 1 and chapter 2. And I want to read the whole two chapters. And don't be discouraged. It is the word of God as we read this. And then we're going to talk about it. And I believe it'll speak to your heart and it'll encourage you. So let's go into the word of God. If you're there, get your phones ready. Get your Bible ready. Open it to chapter 1. And as we read together, let's trust the Lord that by his spirit, he will unlock stuff in our hearts that will enable us to live lives of significance. And those of you who feel you are in neutral, those of you who feel you need to protect yourself, that you will find that the Spirit of God will awaken you and you will stand up and rise up and be strong. Amen. This, is the, this is the words of Nehemiah, son of Hilkiah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates has been burnt with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the Lord God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. 
Let your ear be attentive and your, ear, and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant before you this day and night for your servants. The people of Israel, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my, and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws that you have given your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if, you, even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. You, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayers of your servants and let the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name come to you. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man because I was the cupbearer of the king. Now chapter 2, hang in there with me, this is good. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th day of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had, I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad? And why are you ill? Or are you not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take? And when, when you, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have a letter to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And, I, uh, and may I have letters to Asaf, keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me the timber to make beans, for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residences I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my requests. And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king has also sent uh, army officers and cavalry with me. Then Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official, uh, the Ammonite official heard about this. They were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem and after, say, after staying for three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do in Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except me. And I was riding, uh, except the one that I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate towards Jackalwell and the Dung Gate, examining, examine, uh, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which has been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley. By night, examining the wall, finally I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as, as of yet I said nothing to the Jews or to the priests or to the nobles or, nor, or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. But listen to verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble that we are in Jerusalem? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates, has, its gates has been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of God on me and what the king has said to me. They replied, let 
us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. And then it continues, verse 19 to verse 20. They refer to, to uh, Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite again. The guys that resisted Nehemiah and the vision that God has given them. Friends, what can we learn from this? And what is God saying to us as a church? Nehemiah was a civil engineer whom God called to liberate his people. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a prophet. He was a civil engineer. What, what is written, some commentaries written about Nehemiah says, he also instituted executive, moral, and liturgical reforms in rededicating the Jews to Yahweh, to God. What this civil engineer did as he went back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and prophetically it refers to the church, is he reinstituted, what did he reinstitute? Ex uh, extensive moral and liturgical reforms. He called people back to obedience. He called people back to the worship of God. Not just the distance worship where God is at a distance and you just know stuff about Him. He called them back to an intimate relationship with God. And then it went on and it says, He rededicated the Jews to God. Friends, what is the call of God on the church today? What are we talking? What is the vision that God has given us? Not just as every nation in Bombela, but also every nation in South Africa. The words that we believe God is saying to us as believers is arise and build. When everyone wants to hide and save, God is saying to us, arise and give. Why is Nehemiah, why is this the story of this civil engineer in the Bible? Why did God decide to take this man's life and put it into the book that reflects his character to us and makes himself known to us. There's a few things that I thought of in our preparation. I discussed it with, with Luan and George as we were chatting together. And there's a few things that I want to refer to. The first thing is the actions and how God is revealed in, in, in Nehemiah's actions. Mm. He's a man that served a foreign king in the citadel of Susa. He had all the comfort and the privilege that the palace could provide. And he gave up his life in the palace to be with the people that God called him to go serve. Friends, the actions of Nehemiah's life reflects the gospel to us. Nehemiah could have stayed in the citadel of Susa with the king and he could have lived a royal, easy, comfortable life with good retirement um, uh, what do you call that? Um, benefits. benefits. Great retirement benefits for this world. But Nehemiah was able to see beyond this world and he saw a God that called him to live a gospel-centered life, not a world-centered comfort life. Then Nehemiah steps out, and this is my notes here. He lives the gospel when God calls him to rescue his people. Does it not make you think of Moses that left the palace to be with his people? Does it not make us think as we read this passage how Nehemiah literally gave up all the privileges that he had to be with his people? Does it not remind you of Jesus leaving the comforts of heaven for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that Jesus stepped into our lostness, into our chaos, into our into our um, death to bring life. Friends, this is the gospel in the book of Nehemiah. And if we miss this, we miss everything. Because in the New Testament, we are reminded of a Nehemiah that left heaven to come to earth. And his name was Jesus. So the last thing that, that, that characterizes Nehemiah's actions is Nehemiah united a diverse group of people to follow God's purposes. Diverse group of people. It's very key that we understand this. Racism was as much an issue in those days as what it is today. But Nehemiah's actions shows us that it can be overcome for the sake of the kingdom of God. So we can look at Nehemiah's actions. We can look at his character. What characterizes this young civil engineer's character in his calling to serve his people? He was a convicted, single-minded spiritual leader. 
I chose those words very purposefully. He was convicted, he was single-minded, and he was a spiritual leader. Remember what I'm telling you now, a spiritual leader. We're going to climb back into the scriptures, and I will show you this. He was a very spiritual leader with a very practical application to the call of God on his life. He was clear in honoring God's purposes, not man's requests. Nehemiah loved people. Hanani, one of my brothers, as we read in Nehemiah, the chapter 1, he says, Hanani, one of my brothers and people with him, and Nehemiah engaged with them. Then he talks about, then, then we see Nehemiah's relationship with the king. He had favor with the king. He was a relational man. He knew how to deal with his relationships with people. He knew how to love people in a way that placed them first and him second. Nehemiah took people with him. Nehemiah focused on the building that was uh, the building, or Nehemiah focused on building what was right, not meeting the felt needs of the people. He was not confused. He knew what to build and what to ignore. And he knew how to recognize and ignore the voices of the devil and the people that the devil sent to detract him. But character and action that attracted God's grace and God's favor and guaranteed fulfillment. If you read through the book of Nehemiah, it is 13 chapters, well worth reading in one sitting. And you're going to start seeing in chapter 7 how the prophecy that Nehemiah referred to as he was praying started coming true. Because God started bringing the Jews back from as far as you could think of. He started bringing the Jews back to Jerusalem. And he will do it today again. He will start bringing the lost into the church again. We will rebuild the walls of the church again. The church will be glorious once more. Pour out your life. To God and to others. Friends, this is the guarantee to fulfilled living is give your lives. Do not protect your life. Give it. What is, what is God saying to us as believers? What is God saying to you? What is God saying to me? He says to us, so don't save. I don't have anything against saving. I don't have anything against pension plans. I don't have anything against you buying a house and and doing stuff to bless your family and to invest in your future. I've got nothing against that. But how much faith is in that? If you have a pension plan, let it be in faith. Let it not be in fear. But I want to say to you, if you are not sowing, you are setting yourself up to become a servant of your finances for the rest of your life. God is saying to the church, minister, don't just be a member. God is saying, be a contributor in our society and in our country. Let us contribute. Let us be part of the solution. Let us not just be consumers and see what we can take out of our country. Friends, that is a characteristic that that God cannot resist stepping into. It's a character, it's a life that God cannot resist stepping into. And I know God is calling you to live that way. And I know God is calling me to live that way. And the the challenge there sometimes is it will cause us to sacrifice. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples in John 20 verse 21. Then Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you as my representatives. Friends, as we live this life of giving, of giving ourselves, and I'm not asking you to do something because I'm trying to convince you to be more generous. I'm asking you to hear what the Lord is saying, and I'm asking you to be obedient to His voice. Because that is the way that we will build Jerusalem. That is the way that we will build the church. And it will take sacrifice because Jesus that said this to his disciples, peace be to you as the father sent me. I also send you knew exactly where he was going and the cross was part of that. Jesus above all human beings knew how to give his life, how to sow, how to, how to be extravagant in his giving. I can give you examples of men and women who gave their lives. I'm thinking of Jim Elliot, one of my favorite missionaries. You can go study his life. But Jim Elliot said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. 
Do you want to be happy? Are you un are you are you dissatisfied with the life that you're experiencing? Are you are you frustrated with life? Are you are you angry at the uh, uh, at at our nation leaders? Are you scared when you look at our economy? I say to you, God's answer for you is find a person to give your life to. Find something that you can give your life to when everything in your anger and your frustration is causing you just to keep, keep, keep. Friends, as a church, we will give. We will not stop giving. It is the greatest joy when, when Luan and I, we, when, we, when we drop 667 kilograms of food off at Mercy Air to be flown into Durban and to be given to a church there that serves the community and testimonies that we've received is as one food parcel was delivered, the family broke down weeping because all of a sudden they had food to eat in their house. And the person that was delivering the food asked them what is happening and they started chatting and that family ended up giving their lives. They committed their lives to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. How did that happen? It was because there were people that gave. We, were, we as, a, as every nation in Bumbilla, is just a small little link. I know of the people that packed right in this garage, right behind us here, packed boxes and taped boxes shut. I tell you, the way that box was taped shut ensured that someone got saved. Someone took time. It, it, uh, I don't have to, to, to belabor this, this point. But friends, this is how we're going to rebuild the church to become a glorious church. And I want to say to you, if this is your church, I want to I wanna call on you. And I want to say to you, give your life to people. Give your life to people. I'm going to elaborate shortly on chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3. This is going to be quite short elaborations for the next season. We will be preaching on Nehemiah. So you can read, the, you can read this book uh, through a couple of times. Let's get what God wants to say to us. God wants to give us vision here. Chapter 1. The heading, my, my heading for chapter 1 is the bad report and prayer. He received a bad report and he prayed an apostolic prayer. Key verses for me in Nehemiah 1 verse 2. I, um, sorry, excuse me. Hanani, one of my brothers, arrived. And Nehemiah said, he's one of my brothers. I questioned him. Friends, this is the privilege that we have in the church. This is what defines healthy relationships. Is I can question you. How are you doing? How is your relationship with the church? How is the church doing? There was deep relationship between Nehemiah and these people and they brought a bad message back. Nehemiah 1 verse 3. This is the report they gave him. They are in great trouble and disgrace. Does that not summarize many, many, many people in our nation? Does that not summarize where the world is currently at? They are in great trouble and disgrace. I can tell you, friends, there's politicians. There are, there are very wealthy leaders of this world. They might have all the riches of this world, but they are in disgrace. And it's killing them. And it's stealing their eternal life. Then they go on and they say, The wall is broken down and its gates have been burnt with fire. The gates were usually built out of wood, so that's why it was burnt with fire. So they, they gave Nehemiah the problem. The problems felt internally because the, the walls uh, were down. People were insecure on the inside. The external circumstances defined their internal condition. Nehemiah 1 verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. I mourned. I fasted and prayed before the Lord God of heaven and earth. Friends, as church, what do we do when we hear these these reports about the world. What do we do when we hear about people that ask for the most basic of needs because they cannot find it in shops? Do we close our hearts? Do we allow God to break our hearts? And then you see as you read on through chapter 1 how Nehemiah, they call it identificational repentance. How Nehemiah started praying and he said, God, me and my people, we have sinned against you. 
Here's the point that I want to highlight. Nehemiah knew God. He calls him the Lord God of heaven. He calls him the God who made the covenant. He reminds God of the Jews or the people that he set free from Egypt. He calls them those whom you love and those who obey you, you will not resist. Friends, God will keep his promises. And Nehemiah knew that about God. Are we holding on to promises for, for the church, for what God said about the church? God said to the church, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We are holding on to that, friends, and God will build his church and he is building his church. People will get saved because of this video clip that you forward to them. Because of this sermon, not because of Mike being great, but because of God being sovereign. And because of the Spirit of God that will speak through His Word. Because of the Spirit of God that will call people to repentance. That will call them out of selfishness. That will call them out of this idea that I am elevated and I am more important than another race group. I will show you what the Word of God says about racism. It will encourage you. It will challenge you. It will bless you. And I trust it will, it will rip out racism out of our church. Not just out of our church, but out of the church. But there was a personal responsibility in identificational repentance. As Nehemiah prays and he says, God, it is our sins. He makes himself part of the us, not part of... He, he doesn't say, it's, oh yeah, we, we are the holy ones because I'm a Jew and because you know, I pray and because I read my Bible. Identificational repentance places you amongst the people. I confess our sins, Israel and my family's sins. What does it look like in South Africa? What does our history look like? Friends, I, I'm, not, I'm not a person that, that dwells in history and that, that cannot come into, into the current circumstances. But we do not deserve the grace of God in our nation. We do not deserve it, but we revel in God's grace. And we honor God that is gracious to us. Remember Jim LaFoon's word. We have a dismal history. And I would, I would venture out to say, can I be honest with you? I believe that racism has been addressed in words, but I believe that it is just clothed in a different, in a different garment. Because I hear how people speak. I hear how people speak about our politicians. I hear how people go to church, they clap their hands, they preach nice messages. But then as they drive, the, the stuff they say as they drive past townships, the stuff they say as they pass, drive past the wealthy's houses. Friends, it does not fly. It is not enough for us to say I am not a racist. But deep inside you know there's issues that you need to deal with. And the pressures that our country and the pressures that the world is, is feeling now is going to cause these hidden things that is so deep, deep to start popping. And as a church, can we be the first to say, God, we need your grace. Will you forgive us for being a nation where things was done that is unmentionable from whites to blacks, from blacks to whites, from, from black towards the Indians, from whites towards the Indians? I can, I can give you all the perspectives. But am I a racist? And if I am, do I have the guts to say to God, God, wash it out of me? You will see what God does as, as, as we read through this through Nehemiah. We have acted wickedly in your sight, Lord. And God, as we needed your grace in 1994, God, so we need your grace again. George mentioned how some of our churches, I saw the most beautiful picture of, of a leadership team in, in, of one of our churches in KZN. But it was the pastor and his wife. There was a, and there were two couples. And the race groups of these three couples, Indian, white, South African, and black, a black South African couple, just sitting together, and they leading the church. Friends, that honors God, and that attracts God's attention. No, mon no wonder you can see the, the grace of God on that church. And no wonder, this is the greatest joy that we have in our church, because I know who's listening, I know who's looking. 
as we went through last month with my parents passing. I can, I can tell you how people from all ethnicities called us. All ethnicities, the flowers we received, the gifts, extravagant gifts, friends, from white and black people all over South Africa. My dear friends ministering to churches all over South Africa, messages from all of them. It is my joy to be in a church where we can call ourselves truly every nation. It's a value to us, but it's also a mission statement and it's also the vision and the thing that, that propels us apostolically. Listen to Nehemiah's perspective on the lost in chapter 1. They are your servants. God, they are your children. Can we see the lost as our brothers and our sisters? Not just as the lost. Will we give to the lost the same way we give to people that we love dearly? I have no issues giving George whatever I can give him. Whatever is asked will be given. It's... George, it's an open invitation. <laughs> Luan, you, you, my friend that's listening, we are family. But the love that we have for one another in the church, is it a little bit higher than the love that we have for the lost? Man, I just feel that God is challenging that a little bit. And there's a saying that I, that, that I felt impressed on my heart many years ago. If you do not love the lost... As much as you love your brother, you will never be able to serve the lost with the love that I serve you with. Very challenging saying. Nehemiah loved the lost. And may we be a church that part of our vision of rebuilding the church does not mean we are building a church and we're building the, the walls and the door so strong that the world cannot get into the church. No, is that we're building the church with the world because the gates of hell will not prevail as the church of God is being built. God will use the burnt bricks and the burnt stones that was ripped out of Jerusalem's walls. The religious people that might be listening to this message, you have been religious, you have been in church for a long time and you've been burnt and hurt by church. You're a burnt stone, but God has got a place of honor for you in his body. Mm. Am I getting a bit too serious for you? Friends, this is the vision that God has for us as a church. This is the vision for God's church in this nation. And this is the answer for our nation. Let's go on to chapter 2. The heading, God begins to move. We see favor, provision and action. I'm going to go a bit quicker now. The key verses. There was great sadness in Nehemiah's heart for the lost, the ruins and the gates that are destroyed. But you know what? Let me, let me give you something fascinating. Is Nehemiah built what was right, not what was needed? I'm just going to stick to my notes here. God-given understanding. The answer is not counseling or deliverance or, or a care group or come pray for me and my family. The answer that Nehemiah brought to Jerusalem was not, guys, I can see that you are in pain and it's uncomfortable. Let's get you comfortable. The answer that Nehemiah brought to the people in Jerusalem was, come, let us work together. And your need will be met as you work. Build the walls, repair the gates. He does not give them counseling. He gives them tools and responsibility. Their hearts are healed as they give themselves to rebuilding the glory of God. Because the word of God says about Jerusalem, is Jerusalem not the footstool? Is, is Jerusalem not my footstool? Friends, when we as a church start giving ourselves to building and rebuilding and, 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 and praying and giving ourselves to building the glory of God in South Africa, healing will come to our nation. Healing will come to your life. You know why you are struggling and why you are frustrated and why you are disappointed and why you are angry? It is because you are trying to build your own life. God designed you, believer. God designed you, son and daughter of God, to build the church. And as you build the church, God will leave no stone unturned to get you to be blessed. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. 
The reason why we are struggling in the church is because we seek first the things of this world and the kingdom of God will be added unto you. Nehemiah understood this. Nehemiah gave his life to build the right things. That is why we are committed to making disciples. I am much more interested in helping you to understand who Jesus Christ is as Lord, what he has done to you through salvation, what it means to be baptized and baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the power of God. I'm much more interested in helping you to understand that than what I am about helping you to be secure in your identity. Because I know if you understand that, you will be secure in your identity. And that is why we're not building the church. That is why we are counseling people. That is why we have care groups and we pray one another firvaram. And lives aren't changed. Friends, the vision that God has given the church is the church will be glorious. And we are building that together. Psalm 11 verse 3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous man do? Nehemiah understood this. He understood that you build the right stuff. Build biblical foundations. Build relational foundations with God, with man, and with the world. Nehemiah uh, uh, chapter 2 verse 4. The king said, what do you want? Unprecedented favor was released on Nehemiah because he understood what God called him to and he knew how to give the answer to God's people. Unprecedented favor. God, uh, God let loose on Nehemiah. The king asked him, what do you want? And Nehemiah said, may I go? And he said, yes, you may go. And then Nehemiah had the audacity to go back to the king whom he was scared of. Listen, if Nehemiah acted wrong in the king's presence, he could have been, he could have been killed in a second. And then Nehemiah went back and he said, you know what? But I need, I need some wood and I need some stones. Then, chapter 2, verse 10, talks about the, our brother Sanbalat and Tobiah. Okay. Sanbalat is not a name that you want to give your child. Sanbalat, the meaning is bramble bush or the secret enemy. And Sanbalat gives us a prophetic understanding that those who would resist the building of the church of God would be immoral and unspiritual. They would be a sunbalat. It's almost like a sunbalat spirit. I've heard theologians say that. Then, there's the, uh, then the next person that resisted Nehemiah in his building was Tobiah the Ammonite. You know what the word Tobiah means? Tobiah means pleasing to Jehovah. Is that not an interesting enemy that we have against building the church? The one who's pleasing to Jehovah is resisting the church being built. It's resisting Jerusalem being, being, being strengthened. So God gives us an understanding that people that will resist the building of the church will either be immoral and unspiritual or or they will be religious and hypocritical. They will say all the right things. They will dress the right way. They will act the right way in the right place. But when you truly talk about building the church, when you truly talk about bridging the, the, uh, the race barrier, they'll, it's like, no, 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 no. No, you cannot build the church that way. So the two resisting factors that we have against building the church is immoral and unspiritual and religious and hypocritical. Friends, I'm giving you a lot of information now. But truly, hang in there with me. Hang in there with us. Please read uh, Nehemiah a couple of times. And let us hear what God is saying to the church. And then honest introspection. I'm not, going to te- I'm, not, I'm not going to go into chapter 3. We'll do that next week. But this is going to be, I'm going to start landing now. Honest introspection is the start of deep sanctification. Nehemiah climbs on a donkey. Certain translations, um, they, he calls it the mount. In, in, it's, it's quite an interesting name for a donkey. You can call your donkey mount if you want. But uh, he was riding on a donkey. And um, he started inspecting the foundations of, of Jerusalem. And it's very interesting to the first places that he went. He went to the jackal well, also known as the serpent's well. It wasn't a very popular well. It was named that name for a reason. And the first gate he went to was the dung gate. The gate where they emptied the potties. 
He went to the places that people would like to keep secret. And he said, let's start the inspection in our lives. Church, believer, can I allow the Holy Spirit, and not just the Holy Spirit, but the people in my connect group, can we start talking about the unmentionables? Can we go to the jackal well in my life? Can we go to the dung gate in my life? What we, what we would rather overlook, the uncomfortable conversations. What is your jackal well and what is your dung gate that you want to hide from people? Oh, as long as the rest of the city looks nice. No, no, no. Nehemiah went to the right things first. Then he went to the fountain gate, the king's pool, the valley gate. But I tell you, any militarily strategist will tell you, if the jackal well and the dung gate is not properly built, the city will fall in the fountain gate, the king's pool, and the valley gate, and all the other places that he visited, because that's where the enemy will come in. The little foxes that the Bible talks about. We are called to go deep with God. Let's get honest with Him first. Church, we are called to go deep with God. My deepest desire, David says, one thing I have asked of the Lord and that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house all the days of my life, that I may behold His beauty, that I may inquire in His temple. David lived for one thing. Friends, may we as a church know God and may God know us. And then after all these things were done, after all this preparation, after we see this beautiful character of this young civil engineer that said, God, here I am, choose me. Then he goes to the people and then he says, and I also told them about the gracious hand of God on my life and what the king has said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. I want to say to you, friends, this is not me preaching. This us as a leadership team preaching. And George, I know I've, I've asked Uncle George if he wants to add to what I've said. If you want, George, you're welcome to. If you don't feel it's necessary, it's up to you. But friends, this is us as a leadership team saying to you, we are going to rebuild the walls of the church that God has given us responsibility for. Amen. From next week onwards, we're going to, we, uh, next week Sunday, we will be preaching from Nehemiah 3 onwards. You're going to love the sermons. It's going to bless you. It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to really get to the issues. We're going to talk a lot about racism, friends. We're going to talk a lot about issues, small little things. We're going to talk about the jackal well, and we're going to talk about the Nungate. I'm going to be very honest with you. But from Monday onwards, we're going to start praying together. Let me tell you this initiative that we've decided to to go on, all right? We know that there's people with children going back to school. So this prayer initiative is from 5.55 every morning to quarter past six every morning. So if you have kids that need to go to school, you have 20 minutes that you can pray. Set your alarm now. Why don't you take your phone right now and you just go to your alarms and you just set it to 5.55. I'm going to do mine right now. 5.55. Save. 5.55, my alarm is going to go off and I'm going to start praying. And we will be sharing prayer points with you. What will we be praying for? Consecrating yourself, our church, and the community. That's prayer point number one. Sorry, no, no, excuse me. Prayer point number one is consecrating yourself and your community. Prayer point number two, we pray for the church. Prayer point number three, we pray for our nation. Prayer point number three, we pray for God's plan for my life. What does God want me to do with what he just said to me? So friends, from next week, from tomorrow morning, 5.55, Monday morning, I want you, I want to ask you to get up at 10 to and 5 to 6, you start praying for 20 minutes. And as a church, we see God's face together. And we will send out little video clips to accompany these times of prayer and as a church, we're going to start, like, Le like Nehemiah, we're going to start praying for the chaos that we see in our community. Allow me to pray for us as we end off this prayer, uh, as we end off this sermon. And uh, just before I pray, I just saw in my notes here, as we pray together, please feel free to send us your feedback. 
mm-hmm. on WhatsApp and we would love to share it around and, and, and document the testimonies of what God's going to do as we rebuild the church. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, I pray for people that might be listening to this sermon. Lord, I pray that your spirit will speak to them, Lord. Amen. Father, we thank you for the church. Amen. We thank you for the body of Christ, Lord. We thank you, God, that we as a church can say, Father, here we are, send us. Father, you can send us, Lord. We will not stop sowing, even though the world screams at us, we must start saving, Lord. We will give our lives to you, because there is no greater cause to live for than the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray for our city. Father, pour out your spirit on Nelspray. Father, we identify with every single person in this city and say, Father, we don't deserve your grace, but we ask God, be gracious to us. Forgive us our sins. Forgive the sins of the city. Forgive the sins of our nation. Forgive the corruption. Forgive the the hatred between races, Lord God. Father, come sanctify us, Lord. And build a church, Lord, Father, with, mm. with multitudes of churches throughout our nation. Build the church, Lord, in a time where everyone says the church is going to wane into insignificance. To the glory of your name, we pray this, Lord. Father, mm. thank you for George and Mariette, Luan and Annika, mm. Elmira and Knox. Father, thank you for, mm. for the leadership team, for Barry and Annette, Lord Jesus. Mm. Thank you for men and women that you're adding to the church that's willing to give their lives. Father, use us to build, to rise and build in this season. We love you, Lord. Empower us. Give us grace and give us favor. Give us wisdom and give us insight. And show us what you want us to do with what you've spoken to us about. We pray for that in the name of Jesus. Amen.